0: And welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number ninety-eight for Tuesday, March fifteenth, twenty twenty-two, the Ides of March. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. and hello, co-host.
1: Hi, I'm Captain Sabriel Maston here to guide us through this thing. I know you, I'm 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 an expert at the captain speeches at, from lower decks. Uh, well, the inspiring you know- captain speeches.
0: It, it's true, but what I'm excelling at today is math, and I know that one Sabreel plus one can equals greater than the sum of its parts. We have a great podcast today.
1: You know, and we're recording this on Pi Day.
0: Oh my gosh, I love Pi Day. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to celebrate today. I like to bake pie, didn't have the chance. I just... Over the course of the last two weeks, drove 2,000 miles from Denver to Laconia, New Hampshire, home of the world's largest video game arcade, also known as Fun Spot, where you and I have often gone, Mm Sabriel, after PAX East. I have not been since you and I were last year two years ago, and I decided that I had some lost time to make up for. So I am going to be in this area for five weeks, and I intend to play every single game that Fun Spot has, which is over 300 games.
1: One of the fun games there is the original Star Trek arcade game. You actually sit down in it, and you and control like um, turning with a knob on your like, right hand and like torpedoes on the left hand or something like that.
0: Yes, I have some photos of you playing that. I don't know if I'll be able to achieve your high of a score, but I shall endeavor to do my best. I am, after all, only a
1: lowly engineer. So you like how I brought that back to Star Trek? I did. I do. I know. I always will. I'm really good at the Saguas. <laughs> the
0: Saguas, not to be confused with Dean Kamen's two wheeled motorized vehicle.
1: Right. Uh, right. Yeah, that's a name I remembered off the top of my head, too. Uh, so <laughs> we're here today to talk about episode species 10C. That's
0: right. This is Discovery season four, episode 12. We are reviewing today. I just watched it. About an hour ago, oh. so I watched it four days after it came out. I know, thats I'm, I'm really not on the cutting edge like some people here are, but I watched it as soon as I was able, which means it's fresh in my mind for cool. us to talk about today. Well, then
1: I'd like to open up with the question I've been kind of asking lately. What, do you have like a one-word review or feeling that you walked away from this episode with?
0: <sighs> a a, a one-word feeling? A word, well, Word I, or if, feeling? Yeah, if I had to choose a hydrocarbon for this episode uh is edge of my seat a feeling
1: uh i guess so <laughs> I got, you, you, i'm proud of you you got to the point and not making lots of caveats and so yeah you are on the edge of your seat uh, anticipation sounds like a good yes, word.
0: i think that is uh, <laughs> you know i i try to avoid that word because i don't want people think that I'm talking about the old 8-bit Nintendo board game?
1: I don't think a single person outside of you would think that.
0: (laughs) You are your own primary audience. You have to make content that you enjoy (sighs) and are not confused by. And I don't want to listen to myself talking about a Nintendo game today.
1: Yet here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, I am my own worst enemy. Why? I walked away. My word is neat. Not nifty? No, neat. Neat.
0: <laughs> okay, that's a good word. Do, shall we break down these emotions, or should we break down the episode?
1: Oh man, uh, you know, I was talking to my friend Shar, who I talk about a lot on here, and I was like, you know, normally when I write my notes for the show, I will pick up like I will like make like headings for like specific things I want to talk about, and 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 then I'll put like, bullet points underneath like whatever, and if we talk to him about them, we talk about them. This time, as I was going through. I found that I wasn't making any headings and I just ended up with a list of likes and dislikes. And that's, that's not good or bad. I'm just like, huh. So I, I mean, but maybe that means like I don't have a specific deep dive on anything I want to explore. Or maybe I've just gotten into that habit because a Picard has had lots of deep dives and this one my brain's like, nope. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> step it back a bit. I mean, if, if you want
0: superficial reviews, we can always go back to lower decks.
1: Uh, right. Uh, so so what I have is a list of likes and dislikes about this episode. So how about we just go down the run of the episode?
0: Well, let me ask you, you have that list and I acknowledge that likes and dislikes are not always equal to each other, but quantity wise, did you have more likes or dislikes?
1: Uh, I had a lot more likes.
0: Oh good. oh good. Uh-huh. I like it when we roughly agree about whether or not an episode is good.
1: that's the best part of discussions when you like the same thing and you. <laughs> when you agree. Um, uh, I'm kidding, but yeah, I mostly like this episode.
0: So where would you like to begin Then, Well,
1: let's just kick it off in order.
0: Yeah. Uh, So they are now outside the hyperfield, and they are hailing the hyperfield. They are spraying molecules onto the hyperfield.
1: Yeah, you've already skipped past my first like.
0: Oh, gosh. What was it?
1: Uh, The very opening scene of this episode and it's easy to forget it if you like I did until my second viewing. It opens with extreme close-ups of the bridge crew's eyes as we see them trying to take in the massive size of the hyperfield. They're just oh, in yes. awe of the size of this thing. It's like the size of the sun to Mars. Yes. Just a neat shot.
0: Yeah, I like that they are taking a different approach to just being in awe of something as large as a Dyson sphere. Like, the Enterprise D was in technical awe of it. They're like, wow, that's really cool. Like, we've theorized about this. But there was a lot of exposition. There was a lot of explaining to the audience what a Dyson Sphere is. And this
1: time, it was just, like, incomprehensibly large. And, and so, like, get to, to, interesting to convey the incomprehensibly large. We zoom to the, to the comprehensible small. We don't compare the two together. We just show, the view screen takes up the full view screen, but we show our eyes, and wide open eyes. It's just like, that's a neat, neat view. I feel like Star Trek
0: doesn't often take time to acknowledge that which is incomprehensible. And maybe that's because everything is comprehensible. But this thing, it's huge. And even though they knew going in how big it was to actually see it, I was going to say with your own eyes, but it's really through a view screen still. It's it makes it real, kind of like when Picard touched the Phoenix, and that made it real. Seeing it makes it real.
1: Something that gets brought up a lot on um, Delta Flyers, the podcast with Robert Duncan McNeil and um, Garrett Wang, is that back then they weren't allowed to experiment a lot or do "quote unquote" funny, you know, interesting angles, um, or very rarely. Like, they had a formula they had to stick to. And it's nice to see that, the like, modern truck has completely gotten rid of that notion and able to take chances on these weird shots more often. And I love
0: it. Yeah, the, I, you know what? I actually did notice a weird shot, or not weird, but non-traditional, which was when they got the attention of the hyperfield and were being pulled in, there was the... Uh, I I guess it's shaky cam or at least handy cam where the camera was like going from one person to the next. And there was one point where the camera started to swing to one side of the bridge because somebody over there was talking. And before it could even get there, somebody on the right side of the bridge started talking and the camera moved in the other direction so that we never even got to see the first person talking. And I, I thought it was really clever how it was trying to convey just how quickly things were changing. And then finally, it turned around and went over the shoulder of the person at the con. Oh. And so you it was almost like there was somebody on the bridge with a camera walking around.
1: <laughs> it's so damn cool. And you know, that kind of brings about something I was going to mention, I kind of forgot, is that this episode was directed by Olatunde Osunsami. Uh, they are a repeat director. They've done a number of Discovery episodes, ten, which include the season opening episodes of season or opening episodes of season three and four, and the finales of season two, three, and four. And so they get they bring them in, or they they bring him in when they're looking for these very cinematic opening and closing episodes. I have
0: seen that name extremely frequently in the opening credits. But I've never taken the time to associate particular directorial styles with particular names. So that's very astute of you to point out that this sort of camera work happens when that person's at the helm.
1: And it will happen to others, but they're definitely like, see, we both noticed it here. Uh, something mm. a lot different. And uh, I think they might be executive producer on the show, but I'm not. 100 sure anymore um
0: one thing i will say though is that i'm not in awe of shaky cam as a general rule mm-hmm. like there was a director there is a director paul greengrass he directed the second and third born films starring matt damon as well as the film united 93 i had to walk out of that film i thought i might have to because the subject matter was so difficult it wasn't that it was the shaky cam I was physically nauseated by the camera work in that movie. And I nearly experienced the same with the two born films that I mentioned. Dang. So, so I'm not recommending that Star Trek make this a general rule or that they do it for prolonged periods. The reason I liked it in this case was because they did it for like five to 10 seconds. And I'm not going to get sick over that. That in small doses used well is really neat. It's when you overuse it, that it becomes problematic.
1: I mean, I suppose I think it's intended to be one of those things. Well, maybe not intended is not the right word, but one of those things is like when the action is intense and you have a situation like flight 93 or like it's always intense, (laughs) but you're also in a small space uh, or here. uh, It's completely different. I'm with you. I don't like it as a norm. I like it as a a piece of candy. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and I think perhaps another contributing factor is watching Star Trek on the small screen compared to watching oh, Jason Bourne on the big screen.
1: That can also that can also be a big thing.
0: Yeah, that can be even more overwhelming. So, cool. What's your What's your next like?
1: Uh, well, I kind of jumped around in them, but uh, we sprayed the hyperfield. The uh, pheromones, that was neat. Uh
0: and then it turned into the abyss. Yeah, we got <laughs> it just shape shifted out and grabbed them.
1: We got the giant green hand floating in space kind of thing going on. We still don't know what happened to the dots. We don't. I don't know if we'll ever get an answer. Well,
0: no, poor dots.
1: Uh again, they did a little scream, like ah
0: <laughs> not a Wilhelm scream, just a no, little just scream. Just a dot scream. Oh uh, right, right, right.
1: But that led to the part where Discovery is brought to one of the three gas giants inside the hyperfield. The shot of our first contact crew walking towards the back of the shallow bay to look out the window was so cool.
0: You know, for every episode of Star Trek that we review, I pull it up in my web browser on the Paramount Plus website and I scrub it to find a single frame that we can use on the website to represent that episode. That was the first shot I went to was them walking down the the shuttle bay toward the alien first contact because it was a great shot. It's not what I end up using because they're looking out the window at nothing. Mm-hmm. So I used a different shot where they actually are looking at the alien flashing its lights. <laughs> but you're right. That first shot made a first impression. Oh,
1: it was... Oh, I absolutely loved it. Uh, they're using this holodeck uh, stage that they talk about where they can... Uh, that was, you know, brought up in Mandalorian. We talked about it earlier in the season where yeah. um, they can show these wide, huge panoramic shots like that just surround the actors so they can actually look at something and respond to it. And the detail is just, oh, it was so cool. And have these small people walking. Look at us talking about the camera work more than the episode. But um, <laughs> but it kind of gets the point of the episode too. Like, um, showing how small they are to the 10C that is much larger than even Discovery itself, the ship.
0: One of the things I liked about that shot, we're not unaccustomed to slow, dramatic shots of crewmen walking down the corridor. We just saw it a week ago with Rosetta when they went down onto the planet. And that's when uh, um, Adira said, fly good. It was that same shot. What I liked about it this week was not only the scale that you just talked about, but also who composed the lineup. It wasn't a bunch of scientists or engineers or even flight navigators. It was mostly diplomats and politicians. And I loved seeing that side of Starfleet because they play important roles. Other than occasionally seeing Spock or Sarek, I can't name any ambassadors who have ever made a difference on screen in Star Trek. And this episode changes that for me.
1: Uh, Yeah. Um with you, a lot of times the politicians are the people who are, are are antagonists or someone you have to prove yourself to. And here we actually get to see them do their work.
0: Yeah, they're not obstructionists; they're actually enabling
1: the mission to move forward. I like that. I mean, that leads to another thing. Like figuring out how to speak to the Ten C was very cool, and they got the science the heck out of it.
0: You know, one of my favorite movies of the last several years is Arrival with Amy Adams. Have mm-hmm. you seen it? I
1: actually did not. It's one of them I've always been meaning to, and I never got around to it. But I know the concept.
0: It's the kind of movie I recommend seeing twice. And this episode reminded me very much of a compressed form of Arrival. Uh, The TLDR, spoiler free, is Arrival is about them spending several weeks, if not months, trying to learn how to communicate with aliens. And this is exactly what this episode is about. And I, I loved that there was that tension of this could take weeks or months or years that we don't have. And yet, the reality was they actually progressed through that process very quickly.
1: Uh, seeing them work together, and then also bring some of the crew bridge crew in to give us an extra insights. Like, like the comparison, because like Torino is like they're trying to convey emotions all at once, and Torino like, or, and then um, uh, one of them uh, mentioned music, Nelson, and music conveys emotion with a note. No, Those is not words. And I love that comparison.
0: Yeah, yeah. I loved how they brought in Christopher, Nilsen, and Detmer. To, even though they're not xenolinguists or anthropologists or anything like that, they just have different life experiences. And that is one of the benefits that has been proven in scientific studies in our own lifetime is that diversity makes for better workplaces. Yeah, You're more productive and you have... Greater revelations and more productivity.
1: And so like don't they don't need to specifically say that. We just show it right here. And it was just cool.
0: Right. They didn't hammer us over the head. Uh It was just the nature of how life works, both in the future and today. Mm -hmm. But I do have one quick question, which is an aside. They introduced Christopher this season. What century is he from?
1: Uh I don't know if it's actually been mentioned, but I think um His cousin, who was on the bridge before, Reese. No,
0: Bryce. Bryce.
1: Um, had mentioned like a family. I think it was a family relations, like cousin. So it has to be like, and he's brand new. So I'm guessing he found some family in the time period, but it's never been specifically called out, and so I don't know for sure.
0: Oh, are they related?
1: I thought he said cousin. Maybe I'm misremembering.
0: Huh. I just realized that if you Google Christopher Discovery, you get Christopher Columbus.
1: <laughs> and not like Ball or Chris Pine or...
0: <laughs> There's Chris Pike. If you add uh-huh. Star Trek to your search. Uh, let me see. So Memory Alpha, it just has him as Christopher, parentheses. Lieutenant. Uh, <laughs> let's see. It doesn't mention... Uh-huh. It says, okay, it, it mentions that... He filled in for Bryce, but it doesn't mention any familial or even friendly relationship between the two.
1: Well, then uh, I am just misremembering then. Or someone, everyone else missed it. One of the two.
0: (laughs) That's true. Memory Alpha is not comprehensive, but it seems like if they're going to introduce a new character, then either he is of this century. I mean, like you said, he could be related to Bryce, but, you know, a thousand years descendant. Um, but I he seems to be the only person on the discovery crew who is native to this time period.
1: All right. now we know. yeah,
0: I just thought that was interesting yeah, because he's he's a fish out of water uh in this context of discovery. Uh, discovery as a whole is a fish out of water, but within discovery, he's the fish out of water. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna stop using that metaphor. <laughs> what else?
1: the let's see. Popping over to Bookship.
0: Oh yeah, let's go there. Oh, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's go there.
1: Um Jet's backstory was kind of neat just finally finally I learn a bit more about her and talking about how she had lost her wife, and that's what led to her being on the Hiawatha. That's what led to her being here. Um And she's trying to connect with Book.
0: Yeah, some of the individual components of her story we knew, but not necessarily how they connected. And I like how they did that.
1: I'm just always for queers in space, so hey. Uh- <laughs> I like that part, but also uh, apparently I wrote down book apparently just needed someone who wasn't afraid to be blunt or at least at this moment, or he was finally looking for a reason to turn on Tarka because Tarka, this is my first dislike, um, all the work that discovery has made to try to make Tarka like a gray area villain, uh, feels just about gone in this episode. He has no problem. I mean, we already know he was going to do anything. But apparently, that also includes genocide of three different peoples.
0: Yeah. And I have to wonder is Tarka thinking about how Oros will perceive his actions? Like when Oros asks, How did you find me? And Tarka says, Oh, I just blew up three planets. And Oros is like, I'm so glad you're back. Like Oros is, No. He's going to be, You did what? Get the hell away from
1: me. Yeah. I mean, is this the person who, you know, like the trope of he's, I hate using the, what's the word for gone off the deep end? I mean that's not necessarily problematic he's someone who has no longer thinking say uh, in his right mind he's not thinking clearly he is unfocused
0: well that's exactly what reno was saying yeah is that you can't see what you're doing through your own pain
1: yeah and Tucker clearly right now cannot see that he's going to kill so many people and it just lost I just didn't like that they lost all that work they tried to make him make us sympathetic
0: Well the him being sympathetic was solely for book's benefit
1: I mean it was working on me
0: right well I mean that's what I mean if book likes him so do we and in this episode Tarka betrayed both of us I mean if if book liked him and we didn't, then instead of being surprised or instead of hating Tarka, we would be hating Book. Because we'd be like, dude, you fell for it. We saw it coming a mile away. But instead, we didn't. We fell for it, too. And so we empathize with Book.
1: Yeah, and I... I Maybe they'll do something next episode, but it just felt... Okay, well, I guess that was just a fleeting moment in the Discovery writer's room.
0: I'm also disappointed that Nadoya...
1: Yep, that was my other dislike.
0: ...continues to allow herself to be pushed by them. I mean, she was such a strong character when she was first introduced in the 3rd season, and now she's allowing herself to be pressured into things that she knows is wrong. Like she said, this is a betrayal. The word I had in mind was sabotage, which it also is. But I'm like if what she has done is found out, regardless of the outcome of the mission, she will be tried for treason.
1: Yeah. Um she that was my other dislike. Her uh, General Nadia just randomly leaving and returning to the first contact group. Her betrayal here, um, keeps telling Book and Tarka this isn't right, and they're like, "Do it anyway." And she's like, "Okay,
0: right, exactly." Although there was a very prominent moment where she took President Tarina aside to speak to her. Do you think that mattered?
1: Uh, maybe she's. Yeah, they did. You're right. They did do that. Like, what is she telling Tarina that she thinks she can trust Tarina and not anyone else in the crew? What could she possibly be telling them that was kept off air? Intentionally? Right. What could it be? Like,
0: and if it and if it was something that mattered, do you think it would have played out before Bookship was able to escape? Yeah.
1: So we know it wasn't. Hey, Book and Tarka attached the ship. We know that it's not. Hey, I'm gonna go. Turn off thing because otherwise Tarina would have been like, "Oh crap, I got to tell Saru. So like, what could she possibly be telling her? Unless it was purely, maybe there's nothing to dig into that, but it feels like there should be. Unless she was trying to keep Tarina away from Discovery crew working on something for some reason.
0: It's entirely possible, and unfortunately, it's also possible that it's nothing. It's just a red yeah. herring.
1: Guess we'll find out next week. But oh uh, man,
0: or. We won't find out, by which we will find
1: out. Right.
0: Yeah. You know, somebody else who I was a little disappointed with, I guess not really a specific person, but a a set of characters was Zora, Culber, Adira, Stamets. Like, they all put the puzzle together just in time for the puzzle to to reveal itself anyway.
1: It didn't matter.
0: Yeah. They called up to the bridge and they're like, yeah, we have it on our view screen. Why didn't you tell us a minute ago? (laughs) We might have been able to do something about it.
1: Uh, I guess it's going to tell us. And
0: and even Zora, she was like, oh, the, the, the hatch was opened even though the maintenance isn't scheduled for two weeks from now. Shouldn't Zora have noticed that there were no life signs representing the person opening the hatch? Uh,
1: I guess we don't know all the how she works, but you're not wrong that this just felt so weird. It yeah. felt unuse- uh, unuseful. Completely a waste of time.
0: Yeah, a puzzle that they didn't need to solve at all.
1: Yeah. Uh, Almost like, oh, crap, we got to fill that hole in that we put in last week.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should have figured out sooner that. Uh, It was funny that Stamos said, like, oh, I've been looking for Reno everywhere to have her help me with this thing. And I was like, she hasn't been around all season. Why would you expect to find her now? (laughs) Of course you couldn't find her. That's not unusual. She
1: was on a green screen at one point. You didn't even notice. (laughs) Right.
0: Right. Exactly. (laughs) So this should not be a surprise. Yeah. But.
1: That felt just weird. And
0: there was one point where Burnham said to, I think it was President Relic, that given how many unknowns there are, Zora shouldn't come. And in what way could Zora come?
1: Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe in a dot. But then, does that really put Zora in danger or is Zora... I don't know. I don't know. They're all of a sudden making it sound like Zora can just go on an away mission with them.
0: Yeah, and I also don't see the harm in doing that. I mean, given all the unknowns, Zora should go.
1: Yeah. Does that mean? Does it? Would that mean that Zora can leave the ship without needing a reset button?
0: Does she have a mobile emitter?
1: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, unless they trying to set up so Zora be an actual person next season, like as in walk around person. That's a little weird. And we go.
0: I mean, we certainly got some anthropomorphic hints of that in the short trek, Yeah, but it's to be seen what exactly comes of that, if it ties in at all. But that's another podcast.
1: Oh, the 10C have a technology to give me a body if I want one.
0: <laughs> You're the only person on this crew worth saving. <laughs> Great. So. You know, speaking of hollow emitters, though, brief aside. The uh, xenolinguist, I forget his name, uh, I, I'm sorry, I forget his role, his name is Harai, he was using a holopad. Have they actually called it that by name in this show? Oh, if they have, I don't remember it, maybe. Yeah, it was my first time hearing that word, and it makes perfect sense, because it's a PAD, a P-A-D-D, which is an acronym like we've seen on Star Trek's All the Way Back to TOS, except it's a hologram, so it's a holopad. Padded. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly it, it, that that is exactly how they pronounce it in the future
1: <laughs> sir here's your petita. yeah i just hollow tech in the shows i hate it <laughs> give me something physical you hate
0: it because if you were an actor you would have nothing to look at you'd just be waving your hands
1: uh-huh. and also yeah yeah i mean and also if i was a real person I would not want to hold my hands up in the air for five hours a day typing on my computer. No. Sabriel,
0: real don't be so down on yourself. You are a real person.
1: Uh if I was a real person on Star Trek, if I had a person if I was a person who had a holographic interface, I would not want to do that.
0: Gotcha. I like the tactile feel.
1: Go. Like on my like, even on my phone, I don't play games if I don't I don't play game many games on my phone if it's one that requires like button pressing. Like specific area on the phone, like, like you know, yep. I don't have like an A or B button or whatever, you know, the you know what I'm talking about. I won't I do, play those, I, I don't play those because there's no tactile button.
0: Yep, I had an iPad mini for a long time because it was the i really don't like small screens like Game Boys and DS's. If it's larger than that, I will play a mobile game. And for a long time, the iPad mini was the best I could do. And there were some games that were pretty good, uh, but eventually the switch came along and I was like, oh, I don't need my iPad mini mm-hmm. anymore. This is the same size, but with buttons yep. and that's so much better. And there are adapters as a game reviewer. I got sent some plastic accessories. You could snap your iPad or even iPhone into and turn it into a switch like device. Ah, uh, no, I don't shoehorn it in later. It's either a tactile device or it's not.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's me. That's my preference. That's our preference, sounds like. but
0: <laughs> We agree. And that's the best part of the podcast. Yep.
1: <laughs> there's no compromise or nothing. No. <laughs> if everyone is kind of there's a compromise, <laughs> it's no one's happy. There can
0: be no compromise. No compromise. Let's talk about the actual species that they encountered 10C.
1: Yeah, we want to say.
0: Well, I love their form of linguistics. We talked a little bit about how they discovered how to decipher it, but it is emotion and it's molecules and it's math and it's lights it's a lot of different things all put together and it must be incredible to watch them talk amongst each other because they can just do all this natively they don't need holopads and Zora to decipher it they can just communicate at will and I have to wonder how big are they actually we saw the bones on the planet last week and all we saw this week was almost like uh, the Marvel villain Galactus appearing in a cloud at the end of a movie. We don't really have a concrete form. We just have a sense of size, of scale. And so we know they're big, which you mentioned already, but are we actually going to get to see them? And that's interesting to me.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, so, so the whole math thing was a neat concept. It's called Linkos. They mentioned that my name here too. We're like, hmm. All right, the way we talk isn't working, so we need to try to figure out a different thing. And so they're like, so they're like thinking really hard at us, so we can figure out what they're trying to say.
0: This is interesting. I'm glad you mentioned Linkos because when they said it was made by a 21st century Earth group called Medi, I assumed we have already diverged from the historical timeline of Star Trek. And so I thought that this was part of their fiction, their history. But no, it actually has a Wikipedia page, and it was not invented in the 21st century. It was invented in 1960.
1: Yeah. Um, constructed language first described in 1960 by Hans Frudenthal. But yeah, um, the whole idea is basically you try to, as just exactly what we saw on TV, uh, you try to find a bridge where, uh, okay, we'll see if we can convey concepts to each other um, first. And that's exactly what we ended up doing here. Because um, math, ideally, as long as all your physics is the same, uh, is a constant, at least in this universe. And so that's some that's like a basic work on. And that's what they were using here. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I loved it. And um, so they were thinking really hard at us with their pheromones. We finally translated it with the light flashes. They were trying to tell us, hey, this is how you read it. And we're like, huh? And then it conveyed the mathematical constructs. And I was like, oh, that was really cool. I just had so much fun watching them science the heck out of it.
0: Yeah, this for me was what Star Trek was really about, is to seek out new life and new civilizations. There have been, I don't know why I'm being exposed to this on the Twitters, but a lot of haters on Star Trek, and they say it's talking too much about emotions. And that's a different conversation. But I think if you were to uh, broaden that Argument. It's just that there's too much talking. And no, this was the episode that I said had me on the edge of my seat because they were making first contact. This is the most Star Trek that Star Trek can be, in my opinion. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, no, I, I found those moments exciting too. For that reason, like I, I love talking things and showing things, and you know, like talking about like, hey, we're living in this world. I've been been on a lot of pressure for the last four seasons. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't want to talk about it I'm all here for that and I also love it When it can intertwine with super science Stuff like this
0: In fact the Wikipedia page for Linkos Now mentions Star Trek Discovery mm-hmm. And Species 10C Nice. And Medi the group that Saru mentioned is a real group That was founded in the 21st century In 2015 so just Seven years ago less than actually But they were not the ones who invented uh, Linkos so yeah, messaging- that was a great...
1: Oh, Medi Messaging Extraterrestrial Intelligence.
0: hmm <laughs> Yeah, pretty cool, huh? I'm also intrigued by the exact limits of Species 10C's technology. So they sent a vessel into the shuttle bay. It clearly penetrated their shields without even blinking at it. And then it didn't go out the way it came in. It teleported. And yeah. so I have to wonder, like, why didn't they just teleport the bridge crew to begin with? And oh. now that I'm saying it, the answer is because they wanted consent.
1: Oh, Consent, they do not want to scare them. Uh, mm-hmm. All that jazz. And But when that ship arrived and Michael's like, sure, we gotta talk. Uh, I could use some help. And then they have that little screaming scene together mm-hmm. in her quarters. It was cool, just showing that friendship. Poor grudge, having to put up with the humanoids doing weird stuff, but
0: i have so many thoughts about that one being i still love the evolution of their relationship because if you go back to season one episode three when michael burnham steps foot on discovery saru's fear tentacles come out Mm -hmm. like he senses the coming of death and at one point he yells at her you have taken everything away from me that i've ever wanted my captain my captain c everything and here he is Happily being her number one and saying there's nobody else he'd rather go in there with. Yeah, it's just so it's a natural, organic and beautiful evolution.
1: Uh, Because like we were always told at the start, like they were close. And then, you know, Michael does all this stuff and he has some struggle. And to show that they're close again, just close. Oh, it's just so good. So good. I love that screaming scene.
0: Yeah. And I also liked going back to the camera work, how the screen actually shook as they yelled. <laughs>
1: Yes, get that emotion so you feel it too.
0: And it was exaggerated because there's no way that they were actually shaking anything with their screams. But even the way Michael had to to scale up to it, she started off with going, like, ah, mm-hmm. ah. And, and Saru was raising his fist. He's like, yes, more. It was a very Klingon thing to do. And my last thought about that scene was, I wonder if Grudge's response was... Scripted or organic? And I suspect it was scripted, but I like to pretend that even the cat didn't know what to do, so it just left and they ad libbed a line.
1: Oh, I could totally see it like both ways. It's like because cats are good at cat. And you have two people, probably like, oh, what the heck? And just walked off. Uh, cause it didn't Grudge didn't run away. It's like a totally picture Grudge being like the cat actor. You like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm bored. Uh humans are or humans are doing weird things. Uh, I'm going to go to do, the, do my trainer behind here. <laughs>
0: mm. On the other hand, animals who are performing in Hollywood are incredibly well-trained and can do almost anything they're asked to do. Yeah. So, yeah, it could go either way. Mm-hmm. And we'll just have to make up our headcanon about which way it <laughs> actually
1: was. Um, I also liked Michael helping Saru translate uh, Vulcan mannerisms. Uh, ah! <laughs> he was taken off guard by Tarina being all of a sudden like, very cold, relative and emotional or unemotional, very logical. And Michael's like, yeah, dad used to do that all the time too. It's normal. They do that when they're worried.
0: <laughs> and then later Saru says, yes, mistranslations can happen when one lacks cultural context. And he looks at Tarina and Tarina seems to know exactly what he's talking about.
1: <laughs> the side eye. <laughs> uh,
0: well, I, one of the things I love about Star Trek in which I wish was authentic to the world I live in is that subtlety is never overlooked. (laughs) People always get exactly what you're trying to say. Well, they
1: have the benefit of camera zooming in on you.
0: That's true. That does make it a little more dramatic. (laughs) And they'd they'd probably memorize each other's lines, too.
1: (laughs) But, um, yeah, Uh, I like that, too. (laughs) So my last like of this episode was Shepard Book's Dread Pirate Cleveland Booker.
0: Ah, the fifth of his name.
1: (laughs) That's the whole idea. It's like, yeah, that's not my name. I just share it. The guy who helped me out gave it the name to me. So now I use it. And someone did that for him. Someone did that for him.
0: I was a little disappointed because we have had that mystery behind his name for the last two seasons. And he finally revealed it. And it was just in a quiet, subtle moment with Reno, of all people, who we have not seen him interact with much before. And it wasn't all that original or interesting. It kind of reminds me of Book, Speak of the Devil, on Firefly, how there was some mystery and intrigue with him, how he was able to get medical help from, what was it called, the Alliance. Mm-hmm. And even Mal said to him, one day, you're going to have to tell me your, that story. And Book said, no, I don't. <laughs> well, there was a graphic novel that told that story, and I read it. It's, it's official. It's canon. And after I read it, I was like, "That's it. The mystery was better."
1: Uh, I mean, to me, I didn't really care about the mystery when it came to Sh- Cleveland Booker. Not Sh- almost said Shepherd Book. Uh, <laughs> I was like, and I think this is them saying, like, "Okay, don't think too hard into this." Uh, sometimes our details are uninteresting, cool things like that uncool I think it felt like very more real or very more real, unlike my speaking much good words. I thought it felt real. Yeah,
0: I guess that's true. The less dramatic it is, the more realistic it yeah, is.
1: Not everything has to be, all right, now I was on the edge of a cliff and over <laughs> over space Cleveland and I was looking down and I booked it
0: <laughs> to safety. Yeah, I mean there could have been plenty of other stories like, oh, I just heard it and I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> or you know that movie that you ancient earthlings used to watch? Howard the Duck. <laughs> well, he landed in Cleveland with his beam to Earth, and I thought, what a great name, Cleveland.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: <laughs> that would actually be both awesome and terrible. And I'm glad they didn't do it.
1: <laughs> so for me, that ah, was cool. That's a very normal thing. I thought it was. I thought it was very normal and uh, human. It's not right, but just yep, cool. Mm-hmm. Basic.
0: Yeah, and speaking of book, at the end he and Reno use that hidden communicator to send a message to discovery. And kind of like that big puzzle they just solved about how book ship was cloaked and attached to their hull, I don't know what they're going to do with this inf- information. Like Michael now knows, okay, we need to stop them or else all life everywhere pretty much is going to end. Like weren't you going to try to stop them anyway? Maybe there's a little bit more urgency to it, but You can't convey to Tarka, hey, did you know that what you're going to do is going to end all this life? Because he already knows that.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm fine with that. setting up so we don't have to... It saves us an extra 30 seconds next season or next episode. Um, But you're right. It's like very much like, yeah, they're probably going to stop him already. But now we have an impetus.
0: Yeah. And conversely, I don't know what else Reno possibly could have said that would have been more helpful.
1: I liked jet scenes here with the candor um poor book his ship being turned against him (laughs) without his knowing uh by tarka
0: yeah on one hand i feel like book should have had more safety protocols in place on the other hand i have to presume that he did and ruan tarka just circumvented yeah
1: very smart guy kind of thing
0: yeah with his own personal shield
1: (laughs) that can deflect your energy right back at you like uh like this is some kind of dune thing
0: oh i didn't see that movie
1: Oh, uh even in even in books. Uh, the whole thing where concept of in a time when you want to have a space thing, but you also want to have swords fight sword fights, uh, you ha- you basically make a material similar to um, uh, for context for modern day uh um, Black Panther, his suit had like all the kinetic energy would bounce back. So here yep. the idea is all the laser energy it diffuses or bounces back, makes it stronger. Gotcha. But, but if you have a smaller thing, like a sword, which we don't know if that actually works here, but the idea being a sword, ha, it does very much, little energy transfer as you swipe it through the air. And so you can break through the shield.
0: Gotcha. And for those critics who are listening, I am aware that Dune was a book first. I did read the book, <laughs> but it was decades ago and I haven't seen the movie. So that detail was forgotten mm-hmm. to me. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I don't know what Book and Reno are going to be able to do from here on out. They used the ace up their sleeves, which was a communicator. They seemingly have no way to get out of Tarka's very impenetrable shields. So I guess they're just along for the ride now. And yeah, that's I guess what Reno can do is offer some snappy banter that Tarka will just ignore.
1: Uh, maybe something, something power will go down. Something, something beam them out. Something, something book ship is destroyed with uh Tarka on it.
0: We can hope. <laughs> and, and also, with all the awesome power that species 10C has displayed, how could they possibly let bookship ship get to the power source and extract it?
1: Maybe they're they're powerful but slow. We will see.
0: Yeah, I just hope that discovery somehow separates Tarka's intentions and actions from their own in the eyes of C because this is a relationship I don't want to see go south. Yeah. On the other hand, though, if things go well and they establish ongoing relationships with species C, that has the potential to dramatically alter the technological development of the Federation. Right. I think it's more likely that Species 10C will not be seen or heard from again after the season.
1: <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Uh, that would be kind of a bummer.
0: I mean, there have been plenty of species we've seen, such as in TNG, that were so powerful that the Federation said, it's best we leave them alone.
1: Yep. Uh, that might be the case here.
0: Yeah, I can totally see that happening again.
1: I mean, getting to them is hard to do. I mean, i saw that enough alone. Unless something weird happens in the last episode that opens a hole in the side of the galactic barrier, so they can get through there easier. Um, Yeah, probably be one of those. Like, we'll talk to you if we need you, but (laughs) but we're cool now.
0: And we also don't. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I want
1: to say, but we're cool now. Yeah. Okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's it. But we also don't know why or how this species was able to create the DMA, and destroy so many plants without knowing that they were doing so. And we also don't know if they stop doing that, what alternative power source they're going to come across.
1: Uh, yeah, well, well, we know that they think of the people in there as primitive. Mm-hmm. And so probably, okay, we'll just ants live here. Oh, no big deal. They won't notice. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, underestimating what there was in there. If they even knew, who knows? I guess we'll see soon.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe. It is possible that somehow Species Tennessee will not survive this season.
1: Yeah. They, and that they, would be
0: really sad. They
1: certainly mentioned as a possibility.
0: Whew. Actually, I hadn't thought of that until just now, and it, I find it very depressing.
1: Because we probably got to see them. They're pretty neat.
0: Well, if Star Trek is all about seeking out new life and new civilizations, and through their own actions inadvertently cause the cessation of the existence of one... yeah. Then, what are we even doing out there? It'd be better if we stayed home.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to go that way.
0: I hope not. Huh. Well, that's all I got. You said that you went through all your likes. Were there any other dislikes we didn't no, get my to? My major
1: dislikes were just Jenna and Adoya randomly showing up. Does no one get suspicious when you get text messages instead of voice messages when you're betraying the ship? No, nope, that was it. For the most part, I like this episode a lot.
0: Yeah, me too. I. Like I said, it was very much to the heart of what Star Trek is about. I'm very anxious that it's not going to go well because of one person. And granted, he's a genius-level intellect. But speaking of genius-level intellect, maybe this is something you caught and looked up. I failed to. Harai said that species Tennessee was a level two on a certain scale.
1: Uh, yeah. I don't remember the name of the scale, but it's a, it's a known thing. It's a talk, it's been, it's a concept in science or, or in science, I guess is the right word. Um, where you have civilizations are in different scales. I don't remember the de- uh, delineation between each level, but it's like, I think like there's five, I think numbers. And I think humanity is like a five or four. Um, and then it, it kind of goes up in scale, like where you get your power source. And like, like a two or one is like a two or maybe a three is like you use a star to get your power, your civilization. Two, I think you might be go use other people's stuff to get civilization. I don't remember the delineation, but it's basically a power level of the intellect of your um, people.
0: Cool. Thank you. So the lower the number, the better.
1: The, lo- the lower the number, the qu- primitive, quote unquote, you are. I'm doing a quick Google search. Oh, excuse me. I was thinking lower as in lower on the scale. But yeah, four, you are correct, as in closer to zero. (laughs) That lower.
0: Right. Yeah. Kind of like armor classes? No, let's not go there. Old armor class. Yes, old armor class, like back when I used to play (laughs) AD&D. And I did find it. It is the Kardashev scale. Yeah, that's it. I, I, I inferred what he was saying was a real thing, but I didn't have time to look it up. Uh, it was defined by Carl Sagan? No. Soviet astronomer Nikolai Kardashev, hence the name. That's why it's not <laughs> the Sagan scale, of course. Uh, but we'll include a link to that in the show notes. And it says that there are three categories. Oh, maybe it's um, You the oh. idea. Yeah. Actually, no, uh, this actually says the higher the number. A type 1 civilization is a planetary civilization. Type 2 is stellar, and type 3 is galactic. Okay. Wow.
1: Concepts still holds, even if I was backwards.
0: Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so a level 3 civilization can control energy at the scale of its entire host galaxy. A level 2 can control energy at the scale of its planetary system, which we are now seeing. And Type 1 is you can control energy at a planetary level. Neat. Excellent. There will be a link to that in the show notes at transporterlock.com. Well, then, we have one episode left this season. I think we've already talked a little bit about what we expect or theorize might happen. And we don't have long to wait. Just uh, as we record this, it's three days from now.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. My Thursday is so busy already. Uh, I'll be doing... No one's going to hear this in time, but I'm doing a... Oh, yes, you will. Uh, I'm doing a and d stream that evening. Uh, uh you can see my Twitter for links. So I got Thursday busy Thursday. I got Picard. I've got Discovery finale. I've got a stream to prepare, prepare for for a two hour D and d session.. Oof. Oof,
0: and this is the last week that we'll have two Star Treks on the same week until May fifth when we have the Picard finale overlapping with the premiere of Strange New Worlds. Yeah. until next time.
1: Uh, Oh, I didn't think of one this week. Uh, Bye! If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. And keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com.